If you turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll hit a little bit of chapter 4, but 5 is where you need to land. I, uh, we've been walking together through the Bible, and we're now in the, um, in the epistles, the letters uh, that are in the New Testament. Uh, these letters are all written to the churches, and they are meant to encourage, to challenge, to remind uh, people of being faithful to God. I have called uh, this sort of series because it's uh, at the Advent season. I, I tried thinking creatively, like, what can my hook be? And so I was thinking the letters of Christmas. Uh, letters, uh, uh, the thing is, uh, I didn't want to, like, overly stretch, like, uh, there's not really much talk about Jesus' birth in the, uh, in the letters of Paul as much as uh, there's very much everything to do with Christ and who he is. And so uh, I tried making this work, and then I was like, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to work too hard at it. If I just say letters of Christmas, it makes us all feel warm inside, and then I can just move on. So um, I tried putting a lot of effort into it, and I rewrote my sermon five times. So... Uh, anyways, we're calling it Letters of Christmas. I hope that makes you feel happy inside. Uh, but really what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Christ and particularly how Paul uh, will frequently bring to mind what Christ has, uh, has accomplished uh, or he will, he will elevate Christ in such a way to praise him and glorify him. And so for the series, I want to look at just a few of the familiar passages. Uh, so this week we're in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, but in the weeks to come, the plan is to look at Philippians 2 and then Colossians 1, 15. And all of these elevate Christ and praise Him, and I think that that's what Christmas is all about. And so that's my hook, is we're going to spend time in the letters that are written to the New Testament because the Christians in the churches need reminders and encouragement of who Christ is and what he's accomplished. Uh, the book of 2 Corinthians uh, is one that starts out with a word of comfort, that we can be comforted by God, and through that comfort that we have in Christ, we can be a comfort to others. And what, what that tells us in the opening is that something's wrong. Uh, we know that something's wrong in their lives, Something's going on that's causing them to feel under pressure. And so we, we aren't there. So we don't know if it's the loss of a loved one. We don't know if it's uh, completely, entirely all about just persecution. And the pressure that would have been faced in uh, the Corinthian world of what it meant for them to follow Jesus. But that it starts out with that you can be comforted because God is the God of all comfort and strength. And the reason why we go through hard times is so that we can relate and be empathetic and know. And it's, it's this word about how we can care about each other. And so 2 Corinthians, uh, to me, when I look at it, it's trying to give us a perspective of how do we look at our world and how do we, how do we function in it uh, as Christians. And, and I think Paul gives us a framework for how we can look at the world. He's presenting a Christian worldview, and it's going to help us see um, sort of our motivations, kind of help us see our identity, and then I think it's also going to help us see our purpose. And 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, uh, Paul 
brings clarity to that message. He gives us clarity on our identity. He gives us clarity on our purpose and our sort of role and mission in the world. And so if we take a look at it, there's the, the familiar part is in, is in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, and it's, it starts in verse 7. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Before we get there, though, we need to look back. Verse 5, what I just read after communion. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. And he gives us an identifying marker here. We are servants of Christ. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. He starts talking about maybe what's going on and why they need to be comforted. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We have all of these things going on around us. We're these clay pots, yet all of these things, whatever pressure is coming on them, they haven't been broken. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul is giving us a framework for understanding sadness and suffering and hurt. He's saying, we have these clay jars, but we take within us this treasure. We have so many things and and ailments and, and problems and hurts and things going on, but he's saying, all of this pressure is bearing down us, but we still have this treasure that's within us, and it's Christ. Though we take death with us, we also take the life of Christ with us. It's in us. So he says, we always carry around us, in verse 10, in our body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. I would love to sort of pull the curtain back and ask God and say, hey, how does all of this work? How does death and suffering and sadness and hurt, how does that bring glory to you? How does the brokenness and the suffering and the sad, how, like, I don't, I don't understand. I've put a lot of thought to it. But what Paul is saying is, is while we take death with us, we also take Christ with us too and his life. He says it in another way. He says, it's in our weaknesses that Christ is glorified. I don't know the nuts and bolts of it, but all I know is that in our weakness and in our sadness and in our hurt, God is using it. We take Christ with us wherever we go. And we might be pressed down, we might be hurt, we might be persecuted, we might feel broken, but we aren't completely broken. Because Christ is with us. And this is the beginnings of the makings of this message on comfort that Paul is trying to give the Corinthian church and saying these hard things are happening, but know and trust that Christ is going with us. So then he 
Uh, we're going to skip a little bit. We'll jump over to. Um, we will jump over to chapter five, and we'll look at verse um, verse eleven. is a good place to start. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you the opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than is what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. I've read this over and over again. It just sounds like somebody called them crazy for loving Jesus. And he said, that's all right. Maybe we are. And it says this in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and raised again. It is the love of Christ that compels Christians forward in our daily journey. We can be hurt. We can be broken. We can be sad. We can, be, uh, we can suffer. We can have any number of things happening in our lives because we take with us this sort of jars of clay He says, just as much as we are broken, we know that Christ was broken and Jesus was raised from the dead. First John, he says it this way, we love because Christ first loved us. When he says that the love of Christ compels us forward, I started thinking about what are our motivations as Christians? What What is it, the driving force, of the good that we do? Is it to earn favor in the eyes of man, or is love, the love of Christ compelling us forward? Is it the goodness of God displayed on the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection? Of what Jesus has done for you and me? Is it that that stirs in your heart and motivates you and says, I must do good, I must help, I must care, I must love others as Christ has loved me? For the Christian, the chief motivating factor in our lives has to be the compelling love of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. Because any other fuel is just going to sputter the engine and be water in the gas tank. I must have Christ's love driving me forward, fueling me. And when I reflect on that, I think about it, and I, and I hope you would reflect on that, and just ask yourself, what are my motivations for following Jesus? What are my motivations for going to church? What are my motivations for trying to be a Christian in the world? And here's the reason why it's key, is if Christ's love isn't compelling me, I'm going to give up. I will quit. But when I trust and I see the goodness of God and I reflect on who He is and what He's done, that becomes the driving force, is the goodness of God, the love of Christ. It's Christ's love that compels us. It's Christ who's living in me so that I no longer live for myself, but I live for Christ. I become a servant of Christ. What's your motivation? Is it the compelling love of Jesus?
Christ. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. There is this phenomenally weird thing that has happened in our society. And I've been talking to high school students about this. It's called a selfie. Let's take a big selfie this morning. That sounds like a good idea. Look at you guys. You guys are ugly on that side. I didn't get you. I'm sorry. I'll get you. I'll be inclusive. There you go. All right. I'll crop a few of you out. But uh, the, uh, the selfie, and I, while that was completely awkward and weird, um, the generation uh, younger than me, um, if they're not careful, they're going to be known as the selfie generation. And and you think about uh, if you think about our world, um, this photo uh, in in two minutes in two minutes more photos are uploaded into the cloud than uh, the previous hundred and fifty years combined. In two minutes, there are more photos taken than all any photo ever before. It's insane how quickly uh, this sort of technology has taken over, but it's only become a mirror of a problem that's an epidemic long before selfie sticks, long before cell phones had front-facing cameras. Is that our motivations have always, always been about self. How can we look better? And how can we fit in better? How can we feel like we have a purpose? And we, we can all, we can be so quick to live for ourselves. To be inspired by the compelling love of Christ is to be so inspired as to say, it's not about me, but it's about Jesus. And friends, living in a self-focused world, we are going to find ourselves often and frequently thinking that the best things that we can do for ourselves is to improve our situations and who we are. And Paul's saying, if we're constantly thinking about and emphasizing this in our lives, it's not going to work. So he says, pay attention to the compelling love of Christ, that he's died that you might live in him. Because there's going to be things in your life that are going to be extremely difficult and you are going to be like a jar of clay and you are going to feel pressured and you're going to feel nearly shattered and the things going on in your lives and you need to live for something else. And that something else we live for is it's no longer for ourselves. It's for him who died for you. It's that love that compels you and it's also that love that changes us. Paul says so uh, in verse 16, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. If anyone, if anyone's in Christ, you're, a new, you're part of the new creation. This is Paul's language, I think, for talking about, in one way, the kingdom of God. 
that there is new life and there is hope and there's freedom from sin and death and destruction. And he outlines it a little bit more. He says, all this is from God who reconciled himself, who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And so he says, God is reconciling the world. Reconciling the world back to God is kingdom of God language. It's saying we're making all things new. God is getting rid of sin. God is getting rid of death. God is getting rid of suffering. God is inaugurating a new day in which we all get to be a part of. And so we have the compelling love of Christ that moves us forward, but we also have the life change and transformation that comes from a life in Christ. If you're in Christ, you have gotten rid of your old self. And this is where it gets a little confusing to me, because in Paul, Paul in his own words, he wrestles with, how do I still take this shell of a person and wrestle with and walk with and and trust God when I still have flesh, when I still am struggling with who I am and following Christ with all that I am. It's this tension of the old and new life. But for Paul, he looks at the world and he says, you have Christ in you. You have Christ alive in you. And he needs to remind his fellow Christians that their old life is something of the past and you have a new life today. And friends, I can't think of a better word than new life. A new life for each and every one of us in Christ. And it's this really all-inclusive thing. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. And friends, that's for you. And I appreciated uh, Ray's words that Christ's love is for everyone. It is. And it's right there in our text reminding us that if anyone is in Christ, you're a part of this new thing where God's no longer holding your sins against you. That you might be the righteousness of God. And so there, there we have our sort of motivation, the compelling love of Christ. We have our identity reminded that we are a new creation and servants of Christ, and then we are given a purpose. He says there in verse 20, he's, uh, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As co-workers, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of deliverance from sin and death. Now is the day of hope and new life in Christ. And so he gives us a job. He says a few things. He says, one, you are ambassadors of Christ. As simple as I think about this is, 
I get to be the kingdom representative in my neck of the woods. And you guys get to do that too. We make an appeal to the world. We have a message. And the message is reconciliation back to God. If you ever wonder and you think, boy, I would like to tell other people about Jesus, but I'm not exactly sure what to say. I'd like to make it as simple as possible. It doesn't answer all of the questions, but it gets us going on the right path. There's forgiveness. And it's so much more complicated anymore because then people are like, well, I don't sin or I don't think I'm a bad person. It gets all complicated. But can we at the very least say that we would represent God well if we would start telling people that Jesus loves them and forgives them and gave his life for them? So my simple challenge would be is, do you feel empowered enough to do that today? Do you feel like you can express the message of hope and salvation that is for all people? That if anyone's in Christ, they're a part of the new creation. Friends, we've been given a job. Whereas we are ambassadors of Christ. We represent Christ in our world and in our lives together. I think we should point people to what the kingdom of God is like. And the way we do that is through this message of reconciliation. The way we point people to the love of God and forgiveness is by our own willingness to reconcile with each other. Think about that. What if we went around, I'm just imagining this, because this couldn't possibly happen to a church, but imagine if we live in a world where we said God loves you and he forgives you, but then we hold on to grudges with each other. We would never do that, I know. We point people to the hope of salvation and forgiveness and love by our own willingness to be compelled by the forgiving love of Christ in our lives. How important is the resurrection and crucifixion? It's everything. Because it's the compelling motivation that says to me, I must forgive, I will forgive, as Christ has forgiven me. Jesus gives us this prayer that we would forgive uh, one another and as our Heavenly Father forgives us, I think He wants us to be ministers of reconciliation and to show the goodness and love of God. Think of stories in your own life. How does forgiveness play out in your lives and point to glory to God in heaven? when you reconcile differences with enemies, when you care for people who have hurt you, when you respond in kindness, when those who wish you har- uh, instead wish you harm, we point people to the hope of Christ. And we point people to what being true ambassadors of Christ is, and that is that we would be God's love in this world that we would represent his desires in this world. And his desire is this, that God would make his home here with us. And so, is there someone you need to forgive? Is there things that you need to work out? And trust me, I don't stand uh, before you as one who has it completely figured out. I still have uh, family members that I need to reconcile but I can say I'm working on it 
friends, it's not a, it's definitely not a beat you over the head with a stick kind of message. It's a, this is good for our own hearts kind of thing. We can forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. We can do that. We can love as Christ has loved us. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us a message of forgiveness that God no longer holds our sins against us. And we get to share in that through the compelling love of God. And so the question is, what on earth does this have to do with Christmas? I know you guys have been hanging, uh, hanging around just for that. And I think it's in the pronouncement of the angels. In Luke 2, in Luke 2 we get uh, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. New life, new creation, reconciliation, righteousness of God. I think they are all under the umbrella of peace in Christ. Where God is with us, God has forgiven us, and we now live in the favor and love of God. When the angels announce and announce the birth of Christ, they also announce and they proclaim a year of God's favor and his love and his peace. When Paul talks about new creation and righteousness, he's talking about a world that's reconciled to God, no longer divided by sin and death, but overcome in the love of Christ. And so really what we're talking about today is about living a life in peace under the reign of Christ. And so I've issued a few little challenges out there, but they were sort of hidden uh, in comforting language, hopefully. But here's the challenges. Would you forgive? Would you find yourself with a Christian perspective on the world? one that can be of comfort and strength and encouragement to those going through hard times? Would you find your comfort in Christ and be a comfort to others in those difficult times? Would you find yourself a minister of reconciliation where you forgive and others forgive you, where you work with people who are going through hard times and help them to see the forgiveness of God and love of God in their own lives? Would you be heralds of God's love and peace in this world? Most of all, I would just simply ask, are you compelled today by the love of Christ, his love for you and what he's done on the cross? If we don't have that, if we don't have the compelling love of Christ in front of us and within us, I think we need to start there. Christmas, for me, is about the compelling love of God who sent his son to be the savior of the world. And that gift is for you and for me. Let's thank him for it. Heavenly Father, we love you. 
and we thank you for this day. And we know that you are calling us to be a people who represent you. That we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for you as your servants of Jesus Christ. God, so often I can make my life about myself. God, so often we can make we can make this journey about our egos and our pride. But God, you, you ask of us to come and join your mission and your purpose and see our identity in you. And so God, we pray that Paul's words would resonate in our heart this morning to remind us that if anyone is in Christ, we're a new creation. That we have Christ's death and resurrection to hang on to. And so, God, I'd ask that you would stir within your church that you would give us once again the compelling love of Christ in our hearts. That if we're discouraged, you would build us up. If we're hurting, you would send us help. God, that you would give us the challenges and opportunities to help others see your goodness and your love. God, we, we hope that Christmas season wouldn't pass us by so quickly that we forget to worship and glorify and praise you for all you've done. God, if this is a season that others would draw closer to you, God, as ministers of reconciliation, put us in the middle. God, help us to see people who need you that we could share that love with others that we could simply tell them and point them to your love and your goodness. We praise you, God. We thank you for all you do. And it's in the most wonderful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. As the worship team comes forward, we're compelled by love. We live our lives in service of others. It's in service of others over self. We are changed by God. We embrace a new life that's forgiven and loved by Him. And we are called to go forth as ambassadors. We have a message. God is no longer holding sins against us. We join God with this work in this world, announcing peace for all people. Let's stand and sing.